Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, how are you? If you're it's, if it's your first time here, you showed up on a good day. It's Cancel Culture Thursday and Saga 960 AM's Mark Petroni will be here to discuss the story of a BC dad who's been canceled by the courts and sent to jail for using the wrong pronouns. Uh, Rebel News founder Ezra Levant. Boy, oh boy, what a story this is, folks. He says the Canadians and U.S. military spied on his news organization. He'll be along with details. A Mississauga's own Katie Vincent has qualified for the 2021 Summer, Summer Olympics in Tokyo for the women's C1 200 meter kayaking event. And uh, she'll be here shortly. And Canadian business tycoon Bruce Linton, the director of what is being billed as the world's first publicly traded psychedelic pharmaceutical company, will also join us. So yesterday morning, the folks at CNN had to eat crow, a very large crow. They had to admit to their tens of thousands of viewers what so many of us knew from the beginning. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who happens to be a Republican, was right all along, right in his handling of COVID, that is. CNN's Jeff Zeleny went down to Florida to check out how the state was managing the COVID crisis, probably hoping to find things in Florida were a complete mess. But unfortunately for CNN and Zeleny, he found out quite the opposite. Florida, it turns out, is a model state for how we should have handled the coronavirus pandemic from the start. Zeleny was practically choking on his own words during his stand-up. The governor's gamble to take a laissez-faire approach to coronavirus appears to be paying off, at least politically and at least for now, he said. And the, he then added that DeSantis's governing was getting a second look and that his standing is stronger than other governors across the country, even noting that his state's virus-related death rate is much better than Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo's New York and that his state's economy is significantly, significantly better off than heavily locked down California. Despite the fact that Florida remained mostly open. California's coronavirus death rate is only 6% lower. Meanwhile, its unemployment rate at 9%, 9% is almost 
twice as high as Florida at 4.8. Now, of course, the Republican rising star, Governor DeSantis, didn't take a laissez-faire approach to the pandemic. He just didn't do what most Democratic states are doing and pretty much most of what Canada is doing. And Ontario Premier Doug Ford should be taking notes because this is a lesson in how to actually lead. DeSantis actually used the science to target who exactly needed the most protection, the elderly. Then he did something that's very important. He understood that in Western liberal democracies, a free people are best equipped to manage their own risk. And then there's this, of course. Unlike Cuomo, DeSantis did not order infected patients into nursing homes. Nor did he shut down Florida's public spaces like its beaches because he understood that this was one of the few places people could go while easily distancing from others. He also made sure the state's schools opened in the fall and stayed open, something the science has said all along is safe. Of course, DeSantis drove the liberal left media absolutely bonkers, and up here in Canada, too, with his reluctance to impose indefinite statewide uh, lockdowns and restrictions on businesses. It was supposedly anti-science. And yet he governed using more of a cost-benefit approach. He weighed the costs of a severely restrictive policy designed to slow the spread of a virus that has turned out to be fairly harmless for the vast majority of people who, con who contract it. But the media were falling all over themselves with gushing and giddy praise for Democrats such as Cuomo, Newsom, and Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan for closing hair salons and bars and destroying the dreams of many in the process. DeSantis determined that the cost for that was too high. That's leadership. That's courage. Now, let's contrast Governor Ron DeSantis with Doug Ford, who admits he does exactly what he's told by unelected, unaccountable public health officials who now apparently run the province. You know, I'm, I'm going to stick with what I've done right from the beginning. I'm going to stick with health and, and science and uh, work with them collaboratively. Uh, but uh, I'm going to be very frank. There's no politician in this country is going to disagree with their chief medical officer. Uh, they just aren't going to do it. They might as well throw a rope around their neck and jump off a bridge. They're done. I'm telling you the facts. It's very simple. Now, I, I know the old idiom, uh, we get the government we deserve. But really? Do we really deserve this? And when the political class in this country who currently hide behind people wearing white coats and carrying clipboards decide it's safe for us to vote again, let's all vow to remember how we were treated, what we've suffered through, what we've lost, and in many cases we'll never regain. It could have been handled entirely different. Governor DeSantis of Florida proved it's possible. I'm sure he's listening to his science table. I'm sure he considered what his state public health officials had to say. He did it responsibly. He probably sought a second or a third opinion. And then he did something our ruling class seemed hopelessly incapable of doing. He led. Imagine that. Can we get some of that up here, please? All right. Let's bring in the irascible and lovable Lou Skeezus. He's just plain Lou. How are you, Lou? 
Hey, fantastic, Richard. You know, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And, you know, uh, I have some pals down in Florida, Boca Raton and uh, Vero Beach. And, you know, when we're talking and we do so regularly, you know, I always refer to it, you know, I ask them, how's the free state of Florida? And they go on and tell me about what freedom's all about. They go where they want, they dress as they want, um, they seem to be enjoying life. Now, I say that today, of course, because this is the sweet spot in the calendar for weather in Florida. When I asked them that in June, July, August, September, and October, they may have a different opinion of the free state of Florida, because as you know, it's one heck of a swamp. It's a little steamy down there. It is. Oh, yeah. Steamy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, the, the point is he struck a balance. He, he, he struck a balance and, you know, he certainly consulted with his science table and his doctors. But as I mentioned yesterday, when you and I go to the doctor and they say, oh, I think you better have that removed. You don't just, you know, buy into it. You, you get a second, maybe even a third opinion. That to me is the rational thing to do that. That's not asking too much, is it? Well, I, I think that what we are seeing right now is uh, the commandant of Stalag 19 saying no one will escape from this camp. And we have to live with that if we want to be in compliance. You've seen what's happened to people that have tried to uh, exercise their rights. Uh, they've been accosted. They've been harassed. They've been uh, wrestled with. You know, they sent out the uh, pull the pork Gestapo against that poor bastard with the uh, uh, barbecue restaurant and so on. You know, when it all comes down to it, it's about obedience in Canada. It's not about your freedom. It's not about what you're going to do. It's whether or not you're going to listen to your betters. And, you know, that's going to get thin. And, you know, we're going to get a chance at the next election to decide who is going to be leading us, not bleeding us. Exactly. I'm just looking for a more balanced approach. That's all. I'm you know, not saying that this isn't a serious situation and that we need to adhere to some protocols. But listen, I think DeSantis has sent a clear message. There is a third way, if you will. And he's found it now. Not that there's any connection between what we were talking about before, but it is time for our German word of the day. Hey, a little oompa music, if you could, Jody. All right, here we go. Our German word of the day is Der Scheinwerfer. Der Schein, sorry, let me do that again. Der Scheinwerfer. Der Scheinwerfer. Any idea what that might mean, Lou? Uh, not really, Richard. But, you know, I'm, I like all the other words that you've shared with us this week, and I hope you'll continue to bring us, uh, you know, your pronunciation of the multi-syllabic German uh, words that you found. So tell us more. All right. So der Scheinwerfer, it literally means shine thrower. That's the literal translation. And it means, in English, headlight. Oh, well, there you go. No, the Scheinwerfer is a, it's literally a shine thrower. And what about yesterday's, uh, what, weeping bacon, sad bacon? Oh, sorrow bacon. Yes. Yes. That, that sounds like a, a great name for a garage rock band, doesn't it? Sorrow bacon. <laughs> 
And the day before, the offering to a spouse that you have not shown the right respect for. That was uh, Dragon Fodder. I can't remember the actual <laughs> German, uh, but the, the translation, the literal translation, Dragon Fodder. Louis got a couple of minutes to have uh, some, some, some numbers for us. Well, I could give you numbers if you want them, or I could tell you what's coming out of the chute that you might be interested in. And that's uh, the makers of the Canada arm. The MDA is the name of the company is going to come out with an initial public offering in the next number of days, Richard. And if you like space and you like Canada's position in space, this could be an opportunity. I'm going to beetle over to see my um, my neighbor, Rod. He worked for that company for 43 years and let him tell me what's going on. Just quickly, the TSX today down 146 points. Uh, we saw a uptick in interest rates in the United States, the bond yield on the 10-year bond, and that took all the markets lower. Canadian dollar was down today, 79.84 U.S. cents. All right, Lou, I've got some numbers for you. 12, 39, 467. And are those uh, your lottery picks? Yeah, are you playing the numbers today? What? Always playing the numbers. We'll talk next hour, Lou. Happy capitalism. All right. Coming up next, a young Mississauga resident has qualified for the 2021 Tokyo Olympics for the women's CI 200 meter kayaking event. Katie Vincent is next. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Well, as reported in the Mississauga News a few weeks ago, Mississauga's Katie Vincent won't be forgetting her latest birthday present anytime soon. She qualified for the 2021 Tokyo Olympics with a victory at the Canoe Kayak Canada Olympic and Paralympic Team Trials in Burnaby on Friday, March 12th. That was her 25th birthday. Katie Vincent, congratulations and welcome. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. <laughs> so just explain the um, how you qualified, what that event was about on your 25th birthday that allowed you to uh, earn your spot on the Canadian Olympic team. Yep. So in, to, to quickly wrap it up, in 2019 at our World Championships was when we had our Worldwide Olympic Qualifier, which I guarantee to Canada an entry in the C1 200 meter. Um, and then last last week was when we had our Canadian Olympic trials out in Burnaby. And um, yeah, we, we, it was between my between Laurence and I, I think, at the end. And then we had a race off. And um, yeah, I was able to take take a, a narrow victory, but um, that secured my uh, place on Team Canada. So for the uninitiated, including myself, just explain the difference between kayaking and canoeing. This is a canoe kayak event. Just explain how what the event is what it looks like yeah so um, the easiest way to describe it is it's like formula one with canoes and kayaks so um <laughs> canoeing is um we stay on one side and we're on one knee uh, so it's called it's it's high kneel canoeing and kayaking is it's pretty traditional you're sitting down and you've got two blades on each side and you're you're switching back and forth and you have a little rudder to help st- help you steer um the only difference is that our boats are made of carbon fiber and are like 30 pounds and really light and fast um, so it's a little different from what you might see at Canadian Tire, but um, they're, they're designed for speed and that's what we try and make them do. Right. So in the C1 200, it's just like it's flat out for 200 meters, right? 
Yeah, it's kind of like track, like there's just a straight course um, and it's flat water. And um, obviously there's could be a bit of wind and waves, but it's relatively flat. And yeah, you just line up on the start line and everyone has their own lane. And then you go down the course and right to the finish line. How do you train in winter? Um, so that's why we were out west, because it's a bit warmer temperatures out there for the winter. So the water doesn't fully freeze. So we were out on Vancouver Island um, at Shawnigan Lake for about two months and through January and February. Um, and the, yeah, there was a bit of a snowstorm at one point, but the water, we could always paddle on it. And the rowers train out there. Rowing Canada trains out there year round. Um, so that's what we kind of do is we, we centralize to somewhere a bit warmer. Usually we go to Florida, but this year was a bit complicated with the border. So we moved west and um, no regrets. <laughs> so is is uh, the, the canoe kayak, is that similar to, let's say, track and field type events where if you specialize in the 200, you don't necessarily do the 1500 or the 400? Yeah, a little bit. So um, our race distances are 200, 500 and, and 1000. And the women only do 200 and 500. Um, for the women, there's a lot of crossover. You can kind of do both. They're sort of up in the same wheelhouse. Um, but for the men in the 200 and the 1000, you'll rarely see any crossover because they're, they're bit pretty different events. So everything is sort of power endurance. Um, and so the 200 and 500 for the women, it, it kind of lines up pretty good. And um, for a while there, you know, the, the the 20, well, it was supposed to be the 2020 Tokyo Games and now it's 2021. It was kind of touch and go. What is the status? Are we all, is it, do we have the green light for June or July of 2021 in Tokyo? As far as I know, it's green light. Obviously, there's still probably some uncertainty in the air, but we're trying to run out of the assumption that they will happen and um, continuously trying to make uh, safe decisions for our team to ensure healthy training environments that aren't, aren't too um, too difficult to, to get to. So there's definitely will be some hurdles between now and then. And I think, you know, it, it'll be amazing if it does happen and if it can happen in a safe way that, you know, Canadians can turn on the TV and, and watch some of their athletes that have been through some, some difficult times in their own, but can be resilient and show up on their, at their competitions and, and represent Canada. When was the last time we we meddled in, uh, uh, if I can use that as a verb, <laughs> uh, kayaking and canoeing in the Olympics? Um, so in 2012, we had three medals. Um, Adam Vancouverton got a silver, silver and Mark DeYoung and Mark Oldershaw both got bronze. Uh, we were a little bit dry in Rio, but we're looking forward to hopefully being on the podium in Tokyo at least once or twice. And, and who are your, your um, mentors or your... I guess you're kayaking heroes growing up. <laughs> I kind of just set them. Um, I'm lucky I get to be around people like Mark Oldershaw and, you know, Adam McCoover is the MP in Milton right now. So it's pretty cool to have a teammate um, be successful off the water right away. So I definitely turn to them a fair bit when I have questions about um, what's going on, what to do next and how to continue to be successful just as they were for over a decade in, in their own way. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, just congratulations. You, you must be over the moon. Your family and friends must be over the moon. Has it sunk in yet? Honestly, no. I think it might take a few more days still, but it, it's definitely been a, a honeymoon the last few days to, to work for something your whole life and literally takes 25 years to do. Um, it's a huge achievement for myself um, and to come away with some good performances was, was also a huge positive. So we're definitely trying to reset a little bit and um, keep working towards August. But yeah, we're definitely um, pretty happy with, with how things are going. 
Well, enjoy every moment. And uh, Mississauga is proud. Uh, well, all of Canada is proud, but um, Mississauga in particular. Katie Benson, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. All right. When we come back, fact check this. The Richard Serrett Show continues in just moments. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Oh, yes, it is. Richard Serrett here for Oregano P73 Oil from North American Urban Spice. Now, you may have heard me mention my family and I take a few drops of the Oregano P73 Oil under the tongue every day for optimum health. P73 is handpicked in pristine and unpolluted remote mountains. There's no substitute for Oregano P73. It's produced by the old-fashioned steam distillation method. After over 30 years of continuous internal consumption and numerous scientific tests, Oregano P73 is still the only wild-sourced organic oil of oregano acceptable for daily use. Oregano P73 oil is available at fine health food stores across the GTA, or you can order online at oregano.com. Let me spell that for you. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. Oregano.com. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. All right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think during the uh, the first run of the uh, the first week of the program, I mentioned a a book that is circulating in the Toronto District School Board. It was distributed to some primary school teachers. Uh, I'm not sure exactly to what extent it was distributed to other teachers, but it was brought to our my attention. Uh, this book is called "So You Want to Talk Talk About Race," and it was written by. A, uh, a black American woman from Seattle whose previous work was a New York Times bestseller called Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Males. And uh, the idea was that the teachers who received this book were instructed to read it and then they were expected to discuss their own racism and then explain how they felt their racism affected their students. So I'm not sure to the extent that critical race theory, which I think is odious and toxic and has no place certainly in our schools, uh, I'm not sure to the extent that it has infiltrated the public school system, um, but we are looking into this. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. But down in the United States, it is certainly taking um, a, a, putting down deep roots. So the Virginia Republican Committee 
right now is preparing for what they call a legal war against a group of teachers and parents in a North Virginia county after parents opposed to the inclusion of critical race theory or CRT in schools were allegedly targeted for retaliation. The Virginia Project announced the plans for legal action on its website after members of an anti-racist Facebook group with 624 members sought to compile a document of all known actors and supporters and intended to expose these people publicly, dox them, in other words. The list, now get this, the list not only included those who opposed including critical race theory within the public school curricula, but also those who were suspected of trying to remain neutral in the dispute. Okay, so it, it's not enough uh, that even if you don't oppose it, but you, you try and remain neutral, you will also be targeted by this anti-racist Facebook group and uh, threatened with doxing. So critical race theory holds that uh, America is fundamentally racist. It teaches students to view every social interaction and person in terms of race. Its adherents pursue the goal of anti-racism through the end of merit, objectivity, uh, the adoption of race-based policies. So Ron DeSantis, I mentioned him earlier. And um, again, I think an example of leadership. Here is Ron DeSantis talking about whether or not critical race theory or CRT would be included in Florida public schools. Here's how that sounded. Florida civics curriculum will incorporate foundational concepts with the best materials, and it will expressly exclude unsanctioned narratives like critical race theory and other unsubstantiated theories. Let me be clear, there's no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. So we will invest in actual, solid, true curriculum, and we will be a leader in the development and and implementation of a world-class civics education. There you go. That's Governor Ron DeSantis. I think today's uh, theme for the program could be leadership, and uh, I think he's delivering plenty of that. When we come back, round two of Fact Check This. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact Check This. All right. Just ahead of uh, Mark Petroni uh, from uh, Saga 960 and uh, our little segment on cancel culture. I also wanted to touch uh, again on the idea of leadership. Now, the other day in um, in uh, in the Sun Media, uh, Brian Lilly, I I think, delivered a long overdue uh, sort of appraisal of what is happening, not only in Ontario, but across the country. And his piece was called End the Doctatorship. Elected politicians must be in charge. And he writes, again, to reiterate from yesterday, um, thanks to politicians wanting to ensure that every decision they make has cover, they and we in the media have elevated the position of public health doctors 
to that of omnipotent God instead of what they really are, medical advisors. In a democracy such as ours, Brian writes, there is no way that unelected doctors should wield so much power and authority enough to force us to to close schools, businesses, change our entire way of life. Yet, that is where we are in Ontario, thanks to a system deeply in need of reform. If you doubt for a minute that doctors are really the ones in charge in Ontario, look no further than what Premier Doug Ford said on Thursday. I've got I've got to get the green light from Ontario's chief medical officer, Dr. David Williams, and the local medical officers of health, Ford said, when Brian asked him about the possibility of allowing youth sports to return in Ontario to the degree it has elsewhere. And uh, the doctor makes the decision. He doesn't advise. He makes the decision for the premier, and that is wrong, according to Brian Lilly. And then when Lilly followed up by asking Premier Ford about his responsibility as Premier, things got worse. And again, here is our Premier. You know, I'm going to stick with what I've done right from the beginning. I'm going to stick with health and and science and uh, work with them collaboratively. Uh, But uh, I'm going to be very frank. There's no politician in this country that's going to disagree with their chief medical officer uh they just aren't going to do it they might as well throw a rope around their neck and jump off a bridge they're done i'm telling you the facts it's very simple uh well there is governor ron DeSantis. uh he's clearly showed there's a a different way we could go about that but here's the thing and again kudos to brian lilly for this piece uh it you know it it's it's really time that we start pushing back in a respectful way I'm not saying that we, we we shouldn't take this virus seriously. I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow certain protocols, but it is time that we start exercising our rights and freedoms to, to push back. The media's job is not to carry water for those in authority. It is not about doing journalism by press release. That's the way they do journalism in places like North Korea and Cuba and Venezuela. The government hands you a press release and you read it. That's not the way we do things in a Western democracy. And and here's the thing. If the premier and other politicians are simply going to defer to unelected, unaccountable public health officials, why are we paying their salary right now? Why don't they just concede they're no longer in charge? We don't need them. We don't need them. So I want to contrast that clip from our premier, Doug Ford, with this exchange between Kentucky Senator Rand Paul in a committee hearing with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Let's have a listen to this. The two week period after this. No evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, we you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild-type versus variants. And now, what proof, reinf- there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? 
None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're having one one seven that's becoming more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the. It isn't based on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks. For show. No. You can't get it again. There's almost, there's virtually 0% chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with a, that have had the vaccine, who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask to have been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever people don't want to hear it there's no science behind it well let me just state for the record that masks are not theater masks are protective and we have immunity there theater if you already have immunity you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others you're not wearing a mask because of any science i i totally disagree with you all right there you go that's uh, senator Rand paul of kentucky and uh, dr anthony fauci now i'm not here to argue you know who's right or who's wrong the point is isn't it refreshing to hear an elected official challenge an unelected public health official we don't have that in this country and that to me is sad it's disturbing and it's dangerous in a democracy All right. When we come back, a dad in British Columbia has been jailed after referring to his biological female child as his daughter. That's right. Jailed. You heard me correctly. Mark Petroni joins me for that story next. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. A British Columbia father of a gender nonconforming biological female, a 14 year old Uh, who identifies as transgender and prefers the use of male pronouns has been jailed after defying a court order and refusing to stop referring to his daughter as his daughter. No, this is not some scene from a Franz Kafka novel. This is happening now in Canada. And a few people like Jordan Peterson warned us that this day was coming when Bill C-16 was passed back in 2017, and it would appear that that day has arrived. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Now, there's so much going on with this story. It's almost difficult to unpack in a 10-minute segment. So here we have a father in British Columbia who cannot be named, although 
quite frankly, now that he has been detained, he should be named. I mean, that's how, again, that's a that's a principle um, of our judicial system. When someone is arrested and taken to jail, that person must be identified. So this gentleman in British Columbia is estranged from his wife. They're divorced. They have a 14-year-old who, again, identifies as um, transgender or non-conforming biological uh, female. She's 14. She would like to have therapy, uh, hormone therapy and so forth. She would like to transition. And uh, her father opposes this. He feels that this is, and some doctors agree, that this is very experimental. We don't know the long-term effects of this. You're stopping a certain type of hormone in a teenage a person. I mean, this is uncharted territory. So he has medical concerns. He's also the father. He's the father. That should count for something. So he was basically cut out of the uh, the decision-making process. His uh, ex-wife is siding with the um, the child, the 14-year-old child in this case. And so the father really has no say. Essentially, he's been canceled. Then in a court order, he was instructed to no longer use certain pronouns with his biological child. He was told he couldn't use certain pronouns, but he persisted in continuing to call her his daughter. She is biologically female, but again, she identifies as a non, or she identifies as a transgender and she prefers the use of male pronouns. So in defiance of that court order, he was arrested and jailed. Again, not a scene from a Franz Kafka novel. This is happening in our country. Mark Petrone is the host of the Mark Petrone Show. What a coincidence. And he joins us on the line, our very own Saga 960 AM's Mark Petrone. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hey, Richard, I'm great. Congratulations on your show, by the way. You're a big hit and... Uh... It's just uh, just terrific having you on the team. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here to help me unpack this if we can. There's so much going on with this story. Uh, but I, I was kind of focusing, yeah. I mean, rather than getting into a discussion about Bill C-16 and so forth, I just, I'm, I'm wondering because this is kind of cancel Thursday. And it seems to me that this father has been essentially canceled. Um, he has no say in this matter. He has, I think, legitimate concerns that are shared by some medical professionals in terms of the long-term health effects, but no matter, um, he's just been cut out of the, the, this picture. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, this is uh, a case where you've got the state really almost trying to usurp the role of the father who has come out and said, look, I, I have legitimate concerns here. Uh, my kid is, is 14 years old. I don't think she's ready to make a decision that involves, taking hormone therapies that, uh, you know, someday, you know, years from now, she may come to regret as so many other people have. And so the father 
has some concerns. The problem from a legal standpoint, as I understand it, is that he, he broke the publication ban by speaking publicly about it. And so, you know, I've covered cases in court, and if you break a publication ban, whether you're a journalist, whether you're anybody, then essentially the court treats it as if you are in contempt, and uh, you can be arrested, which is how they've treated it here. But I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, the father, uh, I think, has every right to speak about it. However, because he named the individual involved and they're subject to this publication ban, they're considered minors, then they saw fit to take this action. But it, it's ironic to me, Richard, that the person involved, because they're a minor, uh, is subject to this publication ban, and yet they're considered old enough and mature enough to make a decision like transitioning to another gender. Exactly. Exactly. This whole idea of uh, consent, as you say, this is very problematic because how can you argue on the one hand that someone is old enough to decide that they want to, you know, change their gender? Uh, and yet, you know, we have we have the age of consent for so many other things, including, you know, consenting to a sexual act. Uh, it's very, very problematic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think this individual should have to wait until at least they're, you know, old enough, right? That right at fourteen, they're not even old enough to drive, not old enough to, to drive. You're not old old enough to vote. You're not old enough to drink, but yet somehow you you're old enough to decide that you uh, you're old enough to consent to hormone treatments that will affect your health. That could have a detrimental effect on who you are mentally. I mean, uh, this is a massive decision. And unfortunately, you also have a case where the father and the mother have very different views and, and they're not together anymore. And so it's a complete mess. I mean, my heart goes out to the father here. I, uh, you know, I, th I think it's just uh, a real shame. And it's nice to see the uh, this Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom intervene on his behalf because I think they have some legitimate concerns here. Right, right. Now we haven't we have not identified the the father, um, but by rights he should be identified because he's been incarcerated. That that's a that's an important principle of our judicial system, right? You can't lock someone away without people knowing. Well, here's the problem with that: is this once you identify him and you identify the case involved in, then you also identify the other matter involving the individual wants to transition. And so then that becomes compromised. So that's how the court sees it. You know, because if you identify this individual and the matter they're involved in, it potentially has the uh, possibility of identifying the individuals involved in the other matter. So that's how the court treats it. Um, right. But it's a very messy situation. Exactly. They have created right. a legal quagmire here, and now they that's are exactly ignoring right. a central principle of our judicial system to identify someone who's been incarcerated because they've created this whole mess. And I just wanted to leave with this quote. It's really uh, heartfelt. This individual who's been uh, arrested says, here I am sitting there as a parent watching a perfectly healthy child be destroyed, and there's nothing I can do but sit on the sideline, according to Justin Bowden at the time. I can only affirm or get thrown in jail. So here we are now in this, uh, this situation, as I say, like a scene of, from a Franz Kafka novel. 
Any yeah, it really is. It's it's tragic. I mean, this person can only go so far. Like, I mean, at some point he's going to be able to say, look, I went as far as I could. I did what I could. I tried to stop it. I tried to get my child to rethink this matter. I did everything in my power to try and help. And then so if down the road, five years, 10 years down the road, this person, his child turns out saying, look, you know, why didn't you tell me? He can always say, you know what? I tried. I, I did try. I ended up in prison for it. And so he, he can only go as far as he can under the circumstances. At some point, um, you know, he's got to back off. So, I mean, I, I can't think of any other course of action for him because he's going to end up in, he's going to end up staying in prison otherwise. And that's, that's not going to do anybody any good. True enough. Mark Petrone is the host of the Mark Petrone Show, which airs 9 to 11 weekdays on Saga 960. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Happy to help anytime. All, right. All the best. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hour two awaits. Stay with us. Yes, can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serra Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. We have another busy hour ahead. Canadian business tycoon and uh, the director of MindMed, Bruce Linton, will be here. And also Ezra Levant will tell us why he believes the Canadian and U.S. military are spying on his news organization. That's hour two of The Richard Serra Show. News, not in the news. news. All right, time to get the uh, irascible but lovable Lou Skeezus back in here. Hello, Lou. Hey, Richard. Great to be with you. You know, I had to look up uh, the definition of irascible. You think I'm easily angered? (laughs) You're darn right I am. (laughs) Was it something I said? (laughs) Well, you know, usually I... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I usually lose it when, uh, you know, what I believe to be right isn't being you know, observed and respected, right? Right. I have a fine, fine, you know, uh, view of what's right and what's wrong. You have a finely tuned sense of justice. Well, pretty much. I mean, if we can say that. uh, But, you know, for me, it's a matter of, uh, you know, if you're stepping way over the line, I'm going to let you know about it. A lot of people are offended by that. But, you know, stay in line. There you go. Exactly. I'm with you. Or my line anyway. I wish I could be more like that. (laughs) 
You could be. Well, I'll, I'll work on it. How's your martial arts skill? <laughs> um, a little bit of Tai Chi, pulling yeah. the nail. I could do that. But that doesn't that doesn't help you in a back alley when someone's coming at you with a knife, right? Tai yeah, chi. well, what are you doing in a back alley? For goodness sakes, Richard. <laughs> Didn't they teach you never go into an abandoned building, you know, uh, the basement of an apartment building, a back alley? That's not a place for a guy like you or me. I won't do it again. I promise. Okay. Okay. So, you know, news not in the news. My daughter Madeline leaves tomorrow for the World Figure Skating Championships in Stockholm. So I just want to wish her the best, you know. Fantastic. Now, what are the protocols uh, for her to, to fly over there? Well, today she had to go and get a rapid test, and she's currently uh, on the network trying to figure out the results. Does she or does she not have the virus, you know, the pathogen, whatever you're calling it. And uh, tomorrow uh, she'll go to the airport. I guess they'll test her again. She'll go on the plane. She'll get off in Frankfurt. I think they'll test her there. She'll fly on to Stockholm. So she said to me she's got like uh, five tests coming as a result of her attending the World Figure Skating uh, Championships representing Canada. So that's not in the news, but I'm reporting it. Well, it should be in the news. Fantastic. And are we able to watch this on the TWE? You know what? I haven't gotten that uh, protocol yet. I'm always the last to know, as you know. <laughs> as a dad. Yes. As a dad, we just, of course. I was just talking about that with Mark Petroni, actually. Yeah, uh, no, I, I was listening with interest to what was going on uh, in that case. And, you know, I was on with Mark uh, earlier today, but we were talking about money. You know, he wanted to talk about money. I know something about money. hosts. Pardon me? Is that where we are in a relationship? You're seeing other hosts? Well, if I can, you know, <laughs> just to spread the word, I'm like a missionary for the Richard Searage show. <laughs> hey, well, speaking of that, um, I got to ask you about this app, this sexual uh, sexual consent app that's uh, causing a bit of an uproar in Australia. And I didn't want to get into the legalities of it, but just the whole idea of an app that could basically track sexual consent. What do you? What, what does that mean? Okay. Like, okay, so when I was dating way before I got married, I needed the all clear to proceed. Right. Is that right. what it is? It's like a thumbprint, I agree. So, it's so you can track it, I guess, and document it. But you can, you know, if I am uh, involved with somebody, theoretically, with this app, I am involved. We've agreed that we're going to go to the next level, if you know right. what I mean. Yes. And there's some kind of an approval so uh, system. There's an application where you can track and document that the consent was given. Okay. Well, I like that idea. All right. Well, you know, I mean, just the all clear. Okay. It's okay. Fire away. <laughs> all right. Uh, keep things on a lighter note here. I wanted to ask you about this guy who, uh, who found a, I don't know how this happens. He found a missing palace from the Middle Ages buried in his backyard. Uh, Charles Pohl. Thought he might make some extra cash when he decided to build a small suite for himself in his backyard and sell his house on the property. Instead, the 81-year-old pensioner uh, in England made some extra cash when he – or sorry, uh, um, the 81-year-old pensioner paying for the trouble of discovering the ruins of a long-lost 13th-century palace under his lawn in Somerset, England. 
Now, this wasn't like a scene out of uh, Spinal Tap, is it, where they're dancing around a miniature version of Stonehenge? This was a legitimate human-sized castle. Is that what you're telling me? That's right. Although apparently he was overheard to say, the Druids. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. (laughs) So, you know, I hear this and I ask, you know, what legitimacy does he have in terms of ownership and asset you know, claims on the asset. Is he going to get shunted aside by the, you know, by the Royal uh, Trust or whatever? You know, like that's the unfortunate consequence. He owns a piece of land. He finds something potentially valuable. Does he have any ownership or is he elbowed off? Well, it it seems like it's even worse than that. Uh, He's disabled. He lives on his own. And he's saying that the palace has caused him financial problems. He says it was exciting to hear the site contains something of a real significance. But the cost of the investigation is going to cost him around 15,000 pounds and has delayed the construction of his bungalow that he wanted to build. Well, uh, you know, whenever, uh, you know what they say in Alberta, a shotgun and a shovel, I keep your mouth shut. You know, leave it to your estate to figure out, like, you know, you're trying to build something. Why don't you sell it or, you know, rent it out and move somewhere else? I mean, you just don't need that kind of grief, do you, when you're 80 years old? Right. No, the only I, I found a jumpy castle in my backyard once. <laughs> Inflated? <laughs> not even. Not even. <laughs> I was deflated. <laughs> so, you know, it seems like in, in order to, you know, and to uh, say you've officially arrived, you have to have some sort of a, uh, a a whiskey or a tequila or a vodka or a wine. You have to own your own vineyard. And now we see that Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, has launched his own uh, brand of tequila, and it's uh, landed here in Canada, beginning in Ontario at the LCBO. Are we getting samples, Richard? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Stand by, Lou. We're going to get some samples to, you know, tipple and and review. Are we do? Are we now uh, alcohol reviewers? Because I could step up to that. Could you? All right, I'll get to work on that. So um, basically, it's um, it's called uh, Termana Turquila. Well, do you blame the guy for doing it, though? I mean, when you look at the kinds of do-re-mi coming out of the tequila space, like uh, Cabo Wabo, that uh, Sammy Hagar, I think he cashed out to the tune of $500 million or somewhere in that area. And then George Clooney had a piece of a tequila brand that, you know, cha-ching, as if he needed it, gave him a big piece of coin. So I can see why uh, The Rock... Dwayne Johnson would say, I could do that, too. I've done everything else in show business and I've done really well. And you've got Dan Aykroyd in the uh, the Crystal Skull Vodka. Have you seen that? Have you seen that in the liquor stores? It's actually I, awesome. I wouldn't mind having that sitting on my shelf. Well, you know, I think you should go buy it or again, you know, get in touch with Dan Aykroyd, have him send a bottle of the Crystal Skull, we'll sample it, and we'll do like a tasting, you know, uh, not a tasting, but we'll, we'll, we'll fawn over it. That's what, the best way to deal with booze. I can fawn. <laughs> I'll fawn. Have you, have you worked on your frolicking since yesterday? I was just gonna say, no, I have to brush up on my frolicking. <laughs> Fawning and frolicking. All right, with loose skeezes. Uh, very quickly, a New Jersey school district will pay $325,000 to a former teacher who claimed a school official forced her to digitally edit out a Donald Trump logo on a student's T-shirt in a yearbook photo. 325 k Woo! Well, that's a good uh, padding for a pension, right? 
you know, you, know it, you catch somebody off base, Richard, you know, you really have an obligation to hit their wallets as hard as possible. And if it's a public institution, those are pretty deep pockets. You're not chasing an individual, you're chasing a government. You know, much like uh, the Laurentian University debacle, who do you think's gonna be, you know, holding the bag on that one? The, the, yeah, the board of directors? No, it's gonna be the taxpayer. Here we go. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we always get the, uh, the short end of the stick. You get the bill. <laughs> all right uh any uh any business numbers lou you want to throw our way oh you know uh markets were generally down today because of some of the comments yesterday by the chairman of the federal reserve uh the canadian dollar was down as well so i think you know you're not going to get uh an upside at the end of the week i don't think but uh, we'll have to see what the data stream is giving us. But we were down today. But you got to look at the long term. If you look from the uh, the March lows of 2020, the TSX, S&P TSX, Richard, is up like 65%. Wow. How do you yeah. explain that in this? What do you mean? Well, it, have, you, have you heard of stimulus? True. Where do you think the money's going? Well, that, that begs a good question. And that is, you know, there are a lot of um, economists in the States that's, that are very worried about inflation and say they're, they're saying that the effect of inflation uh, on the economy could even be worse than the, the lockdown effect. Do you have any inflationary fears? No, I don't. I'll tell you why. I've lived through inflation. I've lived through 18 percent interest rates and I'm here. And tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be 65, still alive. There's the winning hand right there, baby. And I've been through it all. I've been through the tech wreck. I've been through the financial crisis. I've been through the pandemic, Vietnam, atomic war. Hey, we're going to go on beyond this as well. I didn't know you were in the NOM. <laughs> I wasn't. But you know what? Uh, it was all over everywhere. And it really affected the I was living in New York at the time. It really affected society. Of course it did. Of course yeah. it did. 65 tomorrow, Lou. Well, wow. A big, big happy birthday from your buddy, Richard. Hey, thank you, Richard. And, you know, uh, I guess the cake is on its way. Should I be looking for it? <laughs> That's it. Special delivery. <laughs> the UPS truck. All right, my friend. Uh, hey. Listen, we're going to do a best of show tomorrow. So I'll speak to you on uh, on Monday. And can you put together a compilation of all the German words that we've been using and put it on your website or something so we don't lose track of these valuable words? It's a good idea. All right. I'll get my man Brandon on that. <laughs> all right. Happy capitalism. All right, buddy. Luskizis. All right. When we come back, are the U.S. and Canadian military spying on a Canadian news organization? That story is next. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Hey there, welcome. Uh, Bruce Linton, just a few moments away, Canadian business tycoon and uh, director at MindMed. Uh, before that, now, according to Ezra Levant, the founder of Rebel News, the United States Department of Defense and the Canadian Armed Forces have both funded a cyber intelligence operation against his news organization. And uh, we are waiting for Ezra to join us. Um, but let me see if I can give you sort of the, the details here in his absence. And uh, if you go onto the Rebel News website, he writes, who's the greatest military, military threat to Canada? Is it China? Is it Al-Qaeda, ISIS, or the Taliban? Or maybe it's Russia? 
Well, he writes, according to Justin Trudeau and his defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, it's us, rebel news. The United States or the United States Department of Defense and the Canadian Armed Forces have both funded a joint cyber intelligence operation against rebel news. So here's how it worked, he writes. The U.S. Navy funded the University of Arkansas at Little Rock to use a program called Spy on Web to do a workup on rebel news. Spy on Web. Hmm. And then they produced this report called the Canada Elections Cyber Forensic Analysis back on October the 10th, 2019, which is quite something given that the election wasn't actually until 11 days later. Again, this is Ezra Levant writing on uh, the, the website at Rebel News. But as you'll soon see, they knew what they were going to write before they did their research. It's very, very creepy to be spied on by the U.S. Navy. Now, it's probably not against the law for the U.S. government to spy on me, says Ezra. I'm not an American citizen. I'm one of the most pro-American, pro-NATO journalists in Canada, which is probably why Navy intelligence hates me, he writes. But what about the Canadian Armed Forces? I'm a Canadian citizen, and I have the right to be free of warrantless searches and seizures. The Canadian Armed Forces have a mandate to fight Canada's enemies, not spy on Canada's journalists. So, he asks, why did Harjit Sajjan then take this study and fund these Arkansas spies and have them publish it in Canada? The study, published in Canada claim to have identified 75 unique YouTube channels, but for the purpose of brevity in the report, they would just be focusing on rebel news. So again, the study claimed that it wasn't just rebel news that was being spied on, quote, end quote, but there were 75 unique YouTube channels. But Ezra says they're lying. They didn't study 75 channels. They studied one, the one that they were specifically told to spy on. These are Ezra's words. They just threw in those other 74 to make it look like they weren't spying on conservatives. He writes, I wonder if anyone will care. If we were a left-wing channel and Donald Trump were spying on us, would anyone care? What do you think? We have to access, we have access to information requests into both Queens University which apparently reprinted this smear, and to the University of Arkansas, which really, really doesn't want to hand over their instructions. All right. Well, we uh, we didn't connect with uh, Ezra. He may have had difficulty calling in. However, we will uh, keep uh, chasing him, and eventually we'll, we will get him on the program and have him sort of flesh this out a little bit for us. But certainly, on the not not just on the on the surface, certainly it seems. Uh, you know, this is this is dangerous stuff to have journalists being spied upon um, indirectly. So the Canadian government, he is alleging, or the Canadian Armed Forces, basically through a third party, got the United States Department of Defense to use spy on and the University of Arkansas at Little Rock to spy on Rebel News. That's odious stuff. I don't care whether you're a fan of Rebel News, whether you hate Rebel News, whether you like Ezra, whether you hate Ezra. This is just, this is not what we do again in a, in a Western liberal democracy. All the rules 
seem to be going out the window. Now, uh, we just have a minute here, a minute and a half. Jody, back in studio, if I could get you, I wanted to play this one more time. This was the exchange today between uh, Senator Rand Paul and uh, Anthony Fauci. I played it last hour. It's worth repeating because this is, to me, the way elected officials should push back against public health officials. Let's have a listen. The two-week period after this. No evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild-type versus variants. And now, what proof, is there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're having well, one one seven that's becoming you're more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the. It isn't based on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks. For show. No. You can't get it again. There's almost, there's virtually 0% chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine, who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask to have been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever people don't want to hear it there's no science behind it well let me just state for the record that masks are not theater masks are protective and we have immunity there theater if you already have immunity you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others you're not wearing a mask because of any science i i totally disagree with you all right well that was a healthy exchange we need more of that up here all right bruce linton awaits on the other side stay with us this is New Sox Saga 960 AM, and this is The Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. Just ahead of uh, Bruce Linton, Canadian uh, business tycoon and uh, the director at MindMed, and we'll learn a little bit about microdosing and the use of psychedelics as uh, therapeutic therapeutics and things that, that something that could alleviate uh, certain mental health conditions, anxiety, and so forth. I just want to draw your attention to uh, the, the folks at the Hypno Healing Institute of Toronto. You can learn how to access the subconscious mind at the Hypno Healing Institute, and you can help others achieve success, eliminate bad habits, and build better relationships. You can be trained to be a consulting hypnotist in just 100 hours online by a registered psychotherapist and award-winning board-certified hypnotherapist, Debbie Papadakis. Gain the knowledge to help yourself and others. Go to hypno-healing.com, hypno-healing.com, hypno-healing.com. Well, there is a growing mountain of evidence to suggest that microdosing with psychedelic drugs like psilocybin can be used to treat conditions such as alcoholism, opioid addiction, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. Canadian business tycoon Bruce Linton is an early investor in MindMed and a board director. Hey, Bruce, welcome. Thanks for uh, joining me. Oh, happy to be here. So, um, first of all, straight out of the gate, let me ask you about the use of the word 
uh, psychedelics? Because I, I know at one point you were maybe not comfortable with that because it has certain baggage. How do you feel about the use of the word psychedelics now with relation to well, I, I like it maybe in a sentence rather than standalone. And so what I mean by that, like in the case of one of the companies involved with MindMed, we use it uh, in the following way. Psychedelics inspired. And and um, the reason I, I like it in a sentence is um, a lot of the times there's two challenges psychedelics face right now. One is when I say the word, some people who are listening might hear Jimi Hendrix playing a guitar, and it's very hard to have a medical conversation with background noise with Hendrix wailing. Right. Um, so why why burden yourself with unbeneficial luggage of history? Um, the second is it's the hallucinogenic nature of these products, which are called psychedelics, which puts them into a challenging camp with the U.S. FDA as far as regulating them. And so for many of the um, challenges... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. That you listed in the uh, intro, uh, so for example, like opioid addiction. One of the things we're working on is to take what was a plant that created a psychedelic effect um, called ibogaine, a plant that grows in Africa, and people might be shuttled off to a retreat if they're wealthy and their kid or they are addicted to opioids, and they might use ibogaine as a a way to try and get them off. It makes them really not like opioids, but it has two downsides. One, it is apparently a terrible hallucinogenic trip. And the second is it can create cardiac failure. So like, good, we've gotten you off of opioids, but we gave you a heart attack. Isn't terrific. And so what the inspired means is they take that capability and try and engineer out the heart attack part and try to engineer out the hallucinogenic part and then test and see if you can get the same result of diminishing or extinguishing craving for opioids. So I like it. I like it in that context of that sentence. Right. You need the context. That's absolutely essential. Um, so explain if you could in layman's terms, microdosing. Yeah. So the, the idea is, and, and you can do it with a diversity of things. You mentioned it with psilocybin, which comes from magic mushrooms. Some people have observed uh, patterns of benefit with LSD and others. So what it is, is to provide a small quantity, a micro quantity so that what you may be getting is the therapeutic response, the triggered action, but without causing the hallucinogenic or the psychoactive high. And so it's kind of this notion of small sips, if you will, to see if you get a capacity. And sometimes these are used, or often these may be used in sort of a combination environment, meaning um, perhaps give the person some micro or not as micro dosage concurrent with um, a, you know, a session, a psychoactive, uh, like a, if you want to call it a, a 
please lay on the couch and let's talk this through. And, and the thought is, and the experience has been that people might be much more open and willing to accept uh, unloading their thoughts and reloading with new ones. Right. Right. Um, in another lifetime, I worked at the CBC and I, I was doing a radio documentary. I went down to UCLA and I interviewed a, a doctor that was uh, involved in trials using, I believe it was a synthetic uh, form of psilocybin to alleviate end of life anxiety. Is yeah. that um, uh, something that you, you foresee, uh, you know, it, it being used for? Yeah, I, I think there's a diversity of uses. And I, you know, I want to make sure I'm clear with you and with whoever is listening that um, I'm not here to peddle any of these things, right? I, my, when I started in the, another space, THC, cannabis, and that sort of thing, I didn't really wish that anybody would buy or not buy the products. What I simply wanted them to do was think about them without necessarily prejudice and ask what science would do. So your trip to UCLA was really trying to do science to say, um, how can we help someone exit life where they're enjoying the days rather than suffering or anxious? And uh, in Canada, uh, reasonably recently in the last year or so, uh, there was a court case which said that because we have certain structures in Canada, that if there's medical benefit and there's scientific proof of medical benefit, you can't withhold medicines that do provide that benefit from Canadian citizens. Kind of a good rule, right? Like we, the government can't decide if there's science that says this will help you. You just can't have it. And so on that basis, and with like some of the indications, including acute anxiety, there are now legally existing patients for psilocybin magic mushrooms in Canada. And that's very similar to how cannabis started in 2001, um, where it wasn't somebody who politically said, I think this is a terrific idea. That did not occur for a long time. It was that there was enough peer-reviewed, well-provided papers that showed benefit and it was not deemed reasonable to withhold this from a citizen. Bruce, I got to jump in and uh, take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss Bruce Linton, Mind Med, right here on the Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. Continuing with the conversation, this is the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Bruce Linton is with us, Canadian business tycoon and a director at Mind Med, which um, went public, was it uh, 2020? Yeah, I hate to be super accurate, but March 3rd, um, 2020. So we've been a publicly traded company for just over a year. And uh, how was the uh, initial IPO or how was the IPO uh, received? Uh, well, I think initially with a bit of skepticism, you know, people weren't sure and then the stock kind of moved around a little bit. And if, if you were going to try and pick like just the not most awesome time to begin a listing, let's go with March 3rd, 2020, because there's been a couple of events that kind of kicked off right after that, I think was what, March 11th, where we declared exactly. pandemic and end of bull market. So um, it tried to kind of meh and um, then it started getting its legs under it. And from June-ish to about, you know, call it January, the thing went up like 10x, 1,000%. And it raised uh, cash. So when when um, you start to have eyes on you and the world was looking, there's another entity out of the UK, which is now about the same value. We raised about uh, $200 million uh, so that our treasury is full, uh, made now one acquisition. And, you know, really trying to recognize this is going to be a longish race 
with some short windows of indication of success. So let's let's load up on the cash and think medium term. Uh, let's get back to um, the uh, some of these clinical trials. Where are we with LSD microdosing for adults with uh, attention deficit disorder? Yeah, no, it's, um, so um, the whole notion LSD is an invented item. You know, you got to look across the ocean and think Switzerland. And so um, the company made an acquisition in uh, out of uh, Bern, the University of Bern, which is really kind of ground zero. And the ability to do trials, or at least prepare to do trials, in a lot of countries is much easier than, say, in Canada or the U.S. So the Swiss are a potential spot for that. Um, doing trials for the one I described earlier uh, for MindMed, where we try to think about that derivative of Ibogaine that doesn't have the bad stuff, that's a, an Australia activity. And it, so it's one of these things where our jurisdictions where you pick because there's there's a big difference in rules around the planet on what you can do. There's not as big a difference in the people who live in those countries. And so you want to get is the data set and bring it to America, which is often the way. And so that's kind of the, the path of thinking about, you know, the Swiss. And, you know, if I said to you, tell me a little bit about drug policy in Switzerland, it's, it's pretty it's pretty open and thoughtful relative to a lot of places. Right. Well, that's where it was discovered initially, right? Right. Right. I think and it's kind of one of those funny stories where the, the scientist who discovered it wasn't sure exactly what he discovered. So when you don't have anybody to test it on, you test it on yourself. Apparently that made for quite an interesting bike ride home for him. Um, okay. But um, the, these, are, these are patterns where you find that there are many things that have been created or discovered, whether in a lab or a plant, that have an effect on humans but are not typically associated with the immortality and morbidity that we might see with things like opioids. But for a whole bunch of reasons, they got pushed away. And now as we see big, smart medicine like Oxycontin and things like that in a different light, um, you know, you really, you really start to have these coming to the fore. So it was, I think it was, a, you, you um, build MindMed as the first uh, company in this field, in the world, is that uh... well, yeah, for sure. Me, you know, I think everybody and everything wants to be first. I would say many of these things are almost like a relay race, where there have been precursors who did a lot of work. This may be first in that it was listed on a an exchange as a publicly traded company that's in the psychedelic space. I believe we can claim first for that. And what we're trying to do there, that's a, maybe there are or others, and, and if people like, like there's one called Compass Pathways, which is a UK-based one, really focused on psilocybin. Um, there are a couple others, but what we looked at is said, why would we not try to attract a variety of scientists with a variety of approaches using a variety of molecules aimed at a variety of potential societal benefit outcomes, and then de-risk it for everyone by having some common services that make it easier to focus on science rather than capital raising and things like that. And so we have a bit of a, a platform or, or an arc, if you will, filled with an increasing number of approaches. And that's pretty unique. You mentioned um, uh, Compass Pathways. There's also, I believe, a Toronto-based uh, company called Field Trip Psychedelics, Inc. Yep. Uh, yep. Do you look at them as, as competition or is it so early in this industry that you kind of maybe even lean on each other a little bit? Yeah, no, that's actually pretty insightful. Um uh, the competition for sure is not amongst the parties that are trying to do what is the less than 1% uh, 
of the market's not even one percent of one percent. So competition is public perception and public policy, really, primarily. And so there's a lot of work going towards that. And you know, we have another one in so the the one you mentioned, they're running clinics and um, they're using uh, ketamine, I believe, as their primary product, so that people go in for therapeutic treatment, meaning you you're going to actually have a session. Uh, with a person, but you're using ketamine as a, a gateway. And this has become almost commonplace across North America, fully uh, regulated and run. Um, there's one, so they're following the rules and delivering value. Um, there's another one I'm involved with that's Toronto-based called Red Light Holland. And it took a, a different approach, but it followed the rules where there are places like the Netherlands where you can provide and sell in stores called Smart Shops um, Basically, it's mushrooms, but it's the bottom portion of it. So it's called a truffle rather than the mushroom. And people buy them. And what the red light guy said is if the rules allow it, let's do it more responsibly and better than anyone. So let's produce the products in a way that's entirely reliable. What's in the package isn't high quantities, but small quantities. And it's the same every time. And so there's, there's a real diversity of who's doing what. But just like cannabis, a lot of people were upset with me saying, you know, how could you be involved in the sale of cannabis? And so I I didn't invent cannabis. I I wish I was that smart, but I didn't. And the only thing the government's doing is they've stopped ignoring it. And then when they stop ignoring it, they tax it and they police it and they put some of the money towards education. And the only people on the planet who should be in favor of the government going back to ignoring it probably are criminals or have criminals in their family because ignoring it is not reliable, not responsible. And so I think in the case of psychedelics, it's quite similar. All right, Bruce, we're going to take one final time out. Are you good to hang with us for one more segment? Sure, man. Wonderful. Bruce Linton, Mind Med, back with more in a moment. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Bruce Linton is here, and uh, we're talking about Mind Med, the website, mindmed.co, mindmed.co. Uh, another early investor was uh, Kevin O'Leary, of course, from Dragon's Den, Maine. Yes, who brought whom to the dance? Uh, so there were some common people that knew both of us. Um, I think I might have signed just before Kevin, but we were both talking and, and, and interested. And I give him a lot of credit. It's a big evolution because at the very beginning of the cannabis uh, activities, uh, I was on the program he had back then was the uh, Lang O'Leary uh, show, if you recall. I think um, might have been on CBC back at your alma mater. Um, and... Uh, you know, he was really skeptical and reluctant. And uh, then I actually found that over the years, I talked to him several times, and he really became pretty receptive that we've got to do a better job of managing things that people might get better outcomes. And so uh, he's been really active. He's actually made sure that people are aware of his involvement, and he has, um, I think, recently even, uh, you know, taken a bigger position. He's just, he's, he's strong with company. What, what did you learn from the cannabis business that you're now applying to MindMed? Uh, following, being sure that you're on the right side of the rules, like look in jurisdictions where you can follow the rules, but don't make excuses and operate beside or outside of them. Um, that science-driven outcomes are the durable ones. So, you know, in cannabis, people think, oh, they're just growing something that they can roll into a joint and smoke it. That, that's true. But when you look at a cannabis plant, there are as many as, uh, say, 100 cannabinoids in there. And when people talk about the one that gets you a little bit high, it's THC, and the one that may make you sleep better or be less anxious, CBD, well, that means there's 98 other ones, but you're not getting paid for, and you don't know for sure what they do. 
And so I'm a big fan of robust, deep, true science. And in the cannabis space, you know, people anecdotally will always talk about how they provided brownies to their aunt who was having cancer treatment and it gave her an appetite, which is terrific. The munchies, which we got to dig in to know how that works. But if you can cause someone to be hungry, why could you not cause an appetite to be diminished? Treat obesity. And so these are the sorts of questions that scientists can dig in. And that's what really attracted me to the psychedelic space because there's a lot more core science being done. Uh, you, you talked earlier about getting government out of the way of, of psychedelics and, and uh, the, the stigma of the word. What are some of the other obstacles in this space? Um, well, so now you want to be in the research field. Where are you making the products? Where are you actually getting your supply chain of inputs? Do they meet the same standard as all the ingredients that go into other FDA trials? Well, no, because some of the people who make those ingredients are worried about losing their FDA rights. So at each step, whether it's getting ingredients produced that you can put them through preclinical trials, um, you know, those are sort of things that slow you down. Uh, the capital markets, obviously, as I mentioned, have been increasingly supportive. Um, Jurisdictions are very uneven. FDA is the big gold standard, and the FDA right now has zero willingness or capability to govern anything with a hallucinogenic effect. So, you know, it does make you have to think a little differently. Um, but each of these are obstacles that when you work your way around them, become advantages. Um, if there were no barriers, you and I would not be chatting because all of this work would have been done. Uh, I don't want to get you know involved, you involved in a political discussion, but the uh, the Senate just approved uh, this amendment to to Bill Seven, which will allow people with mm -hmm. mental illnesses to uh, partake in in medically assisted uh, death. And uh, I'm I'm wondering now, given that, and and some of the the applications for this would obviously be to alleviate maybe some of these things. Do you now feel like you're in a race a race against time? Well, a little bit. You know, it's, it's a good question because I was commenting um, at a dinner table that we've been able to have a reasonable and vigorous debate, have the courts intervene and talk about the capacity of an individual to make end-of-life decisions. But if you still said, before I got there, I'd really like to try microdosing LSD to see if it assists me, there's no way to get that. And so I just find that it's, without weighing in on where the line should be, I find it very uneven that we have a well-defined process for individuals to choose to end their life and a non-existent path to potentially improve it before that. And so I think everyone who hears this should scratch their head and say, shouldn't we really be having both conversations at a minimum? Right, right. I I, um, I get the sense, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, you are, sounds like you are fully invested in this. I'm not talking financially. I mean, emotionally, psychologically. I mean, you think, I get the sense you believe that this can really make a difference. Yeah, I, I, and there's, not yet evidence to the standard I want for everything, but what I really, really try to always push against is I just don't like institutional bias. You know, like adopting whatever prohibition perceptions that our grandparents may have tried to give to us isn't a really helpful life tool. And so what I find that I'm most interested in is just having uh, people have to stop and think and say, why do I hold that view? And now if I didn't hold that view and it was my brother, who was addicted to something, anxious and couldn't function, um, had a variety of these disorders, whether it's ADHD or whatever, if there was science and in three years from now, they were able to remedy that. If the remedy came from what was previous prohibition kind of thing, like an LSD or a shroom, 
do you think he'd say thank you for having your brother back or I'm pissed off that came through that channel? Like, really, we just got to turn it into that kind of discussion and perception. Precisely. Um, I see in last month's New York Post, NYU launching a $10 million center for psychedelic medicine in Manhattan. Um, have there been any discussions? So we, uh, we actually have been active with NYU for some time about what to do and how to do it. And they're, they're one of the front leading institutions looking to say, how do we handle this? And so um, all of these, all of the big players are talking to all the big players and there is, there is a lot of work to do. And I think somehow now it's turned into many of the countries and institutions feel they're in a race against other countries and institutions, which is actually good for us as a population versus, you know, well, I'm a little reluctant. Maybe somebody won't give me that big endowment that I'm hoping for. We'll wait another year before we get involved. We're not experiencing that now. Have investors been hard won? Uh, Initially. And then, you know, um, I think there's 25 or 30,000 individuals on a Reddit group that talk about MindMed. So I would say there's an awful lot of retail. Increasingly, the ones you want to win over, those really big pools of capital called institutional. And very nicely, they're starting to want to have and are increasingly having conversations about what position they want to take. And that matters because, you know, retail people sometimes buy the stock in the morning and sell it in the afternoon and institutional buy it in March and plan on three years later when they're going to sell it. And so you need to have both. Um, The institution has been slow, but not nearly as slow as they were with cannabis. Uh, Bruce, I don't know. This uh, this is very exciting to me. Um, you know, the idea of LXD experiment, experiential therapy and microdosing for adults with attention deficit disorder, perhaps relief from opioid addiction. Um, I, I think you're doing the Lord's work. Thank you so much for uh, for being with us today. Well, thank you for being so open to the topic. Appreciate it. Bruce Linton and MindMed at mindmed.co. All right. So for those of you just discovering this program, uh, you missed some of the terrific earlier interviews with the likes of uh, People's Party of Canada leader Max Bernier, comedian Ron James. Well, tomorrow you're going to get a a chance to re-listen to those as we offer you a a best of program. That's tomorrow starting at 4 p.m. Don't be late. The Bob McCowan Show is coming up next after the news. Until then, I remain unbound, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. 
The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.